Romans chapter 8. Find Romans chapter 8. I imagine some of you have heard of Charles Blondin. He was a French tightrope walker back in the 1800s. And he's, he's most famously known for walking across a tightrope over Niagara Falls. And he, he did it, I think it was 1859, I read the story. And he walked across it many times, and, and he walked across it normally. And then he got on stilts and walked across it. And then he rode a bike across it. And then even, I think he went across it blindfolded, if I read it correctly. Um, and so, of course, there's this huge crowd gathered. And every time he goes across, they're clapping, they're cheering, they're in awe of him walking across this tightrope over Niagara Falls. And so at one point he gets a wheelbarrow and he loads it with a, a huge sack of potatoes. And he pushes it across this tightrope. Of course, they're like, this is amazing. You're the man, you know. And so he gets back and he says, how many of you would like to see me push a person across in this wheelbarrow? And they're like, yes, do it. You're amazing. You're the greatest tightrope walker of all time. Put a person in there. Do it. And Blondin looked at the crowd and he said, which one of you would like to get into the wheelbarrow? How many people volunteer for that job? This, it said a hush fell over the crowd. <laughs> you know, Nobody wanted that job. Y'all know I wouldn't even be up there in the first place. Here's the point of that. Um, it's, it's about faith, right? These people believed Blondin could do it but they weren't willing to get into the wheelbarrow. As Christians, we know our faith is real because we have been willing to get into the wheelbarrow. We've been willing to say, I surrender my life and I turn my life over to Christ and he leads my life. See, that's what a Christian is, right? We come this morning saying, I don't just have a Sunday morning religion, but my faith matters to me every day. That's getting into the wheelbarrow. That's letting your faith be real. And so this morning, I want you to have assurance of that faith. And I want you to have hope in that faith. And that's what we've seen in Romans chapter 8. We've seen this uh, assurance and this hope that not only assures us of eternal life, but helps us walk through this sometimes difficult life. That's what we're going to see in these Verses, And we're only going to cover three verses this morning, 26, 27, and 28. If you found Romans 8, verse 26, say word. Well, that was kind of weak. Say word. Okay. Listen to it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I'm going to give you two main points this morning. And, and through these verses, the first one is this, God helps us not only by assurance and by hope, but he helps us by praying for us. 
God helps us by praying for us. We'll see this in verse 26 and 27. It starts with the word likewise. And it's just a transition word from the previous verses to these verses to say, just as God has given you assurance and given you hope and given you help, God also comes alongside and gives you something else. It's a, an amazing help. And this is a you know, spiritual thing, and it might be hard for us to understand, right, that God gives us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, who when we are born again, comes to reside or to dwell in us. That's kind of a supernatural thing, right? It's hard to kind of think about, to wrap your brain around the fact that God, in a sense, in the Holy Spirit, lives in me and lives in you. Well, we know why he does it. The scripture tells us that God is a, a guide. He is a comforter. He helps us to understand the scriptures. He gives us wisdom to make decisions in life. And so I don't know about you, but without the Holy Spirit and the word of God, I would feel lost. I need his guidance in my life day by day. And so it tells us here, the Holy Spirit comes and helps us, but why does he help us? Why do we need him? It says clearly in verse 26, he helps us in our infirmities. Another way to say that is we need help because we have weaknesses. We need help because we have weaknesses. Would you confess this morning that in your life you at least have one weakness? All of us would, right? The Bible says if, if you say you have no sin or no faults, you are a, you're deceived. We all have weaknesses. As much as we try to ignore it, we do. Our fallen human condition as the children of Adam calls us to be broken. We're broken people. We live in a broken world. And that's one reason we have these infirmities and these weaknesses. Uh, on Friday... I preached a funeral for a young man who, was, who had been shot and killed two weeks ago. And um, Paula was there. It was nice to have somebody, a friendly face in the crowd, as it was not a friendly event. I mean, it was a very de devastating moment. And, and to talk to this young man's grandmother and mother and his wife and to know he had a two-year-old son and a one-month-old baby, I stood there with that baby just looking at that little one-month-old baby who will never know his father. And I, thought, and I thought to myself in that moment, we live in a broken world, right? A broken world. And tragedies like that strike from time to time, but even when tragedies aren't in our lives, life can still be hard, can it? The Spirit helps you and me in our weaknesses, and we need His help. Specifically here, what kind of help does He give us? Well, look what it says. For we know not what to pray. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. He's not talking here, by the way, about um, how we pray. He's talking about what we pray. Now, there are some people who who pray wrong, and we do that sometimes probably. Sometimes we pray selfishly. Sometimes we pray half-heartedly. Sometimes we just don't pray at all or enough. And so there's, there, there is a truth in the sense that we don't know how to pray sometimes, and he can help us. But here I believe he's talking about the content of prayer. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Have you ever tried to pray and the words didn't come? The words didn't come out. I've had people tell me this. 
I've had people tell me, hey, don't call on me to pray because I don't really know what to say, <laughs> you know. If y'all notice that, I don't, call on, I don't call on anybody to pray unless I ask them privately because some people aren't comfortable praying in public, and I understand that. But I hope it's not because you don't have the words to say because we want that relationship with God whereby we can just talk with him. I hope you have that. But there are times in our lives and situations where we don't know what to pray. We don't know what to say to God. And in those moments, look at what it says in the next part of this verse. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us. To intercede is to pray on behalf of someone else. So when I pray, as I do sometimes for some of you, um, I pray on your behalf. I hope you pray on my behalf at times. We pray for a sick friend. We're, we're interceding for them to the, the Lord. But look at what this says. This isn't me praying for you. This isn't your spouse praying for you. This is God, the Holy Spirit, making intercession for you. God in us praying for us. Coming alongside us to to help us when we don't have the words to say. To help us to pray anyway. We saw last week, if if you'll glance down in verse 22 and 23, we talked about uh, the creation groaning. and um, And we talked about Christians groaning for this longing for our final redemption because we are frustrated because this world is a pain at times. This world is a pain at times and we, we long in our spirit for that eternal perfection and glorification that we can be done with some of the craziness of this world. And so the creation groans in 22, Christians groan in 23, and now in 26 he uses the same word, The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sometimes sometimes it encourages me to know when I don't have the words to say, God still knows my heart. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm feeling. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, in that moment is, is making that prayer for me on my behalf. By the way, if you look at the word here, help, Um, it means to lend a hand, to lend a hand. The Holy Spirit comes and lends a hand to us in our weaknesses. One time when I was in high school, I was probably a junior in high school, um, a buddy of mine called me up and he was like, hey, come to downtown, we're going to help this guy move move some furniture. He's going to pay us. Okay, that's fine, we'll get paid to move some furniture. And so me and two buddies went to this guy's house, and it was a huge mistake on my part. It was the most furniture I'd ever seen, and it was all big stuff. He even had like a huge piano. I saw the piano, and I was like, tell me that piano's staying. Nope, it's going. I was like, nope, there's no way. But we did it. We moved all the stuff, and it was, it was a pain. But all of you have moved before, right? Probably at least once, or you've helped a friend move. I want you to imagine that a friend calls you up this week and says, hey, Come over and help me move. I got a moving, moving truck. You're going to help me move. You're like, okay, I'm a good friend. I'll come help you move. So I want you to imagine you go to their house, and, and it's early in the morning. It's Saturday morning, 6 a.m. You got to get started early, and you start working. 
you're loading boxes. You're walking back and forth. Y'all know how it is, right? You're carrying those boxes back and forth. You're loading stuff. And all of a sudden, you don't see your friend. And you're like, where'd they go? And so you're looking around and like, well, maybe they're doing something in the back. So you just keep working. 30 minutes goes by and you're like, where, where are they at? And you don't see them. So you keep working and finally you're like, I've got to find them. You know, something's, what's, what's happening? And so you go to the moving truck and you look in the front and they're asleep in the front seat. How, would that fly with you? I would be going to the house. <laughs> I'd probably take this stuff back out and put it back in their house, then go home. Look, when the Holy Spirit comes in us, there is a sense in which He does things we can never do for ourselves. But there's also a sense in which He lends a hand in our weaknesses and He makes intercession for us and prays for us in ways we can never pray. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we're excused from doing anything, right? We still must pray. We still must obey his guidance in our lives the holy spirit is there to lend a hand not so that we can sleep in the truck but so that we can live so that we can overcome difficulties let's look at verse 27 we're going to see here primarily in verse 27 that the holy spirit prays according to the will of god but but first it says he that searcheth the hearts knows the mind of the spirit he here is god the father God the Father knows our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows everything about us. We'll see this next week. But did you know that God has always known you? Before God made Adam and Eve, He knew you. Before God made Adam and Eve, He cast His affection on you. On His people. He knows everything. And so He who searches hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, listens to the prayers of the Spirit. And again, the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. Which is not a surprise, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It's the Trinity, three in one, and they are always in agreement. They're always in agreement. And so if if something is the Father's will, then Jesus lived according to the Father's will, and the Spirit prays according to the Father's will. Trinity is a perfect three-in-one, indescribable God, in a sense. Jesus said we should pray this way, didn't he? According to the will of God, he said we should pray this way. Complete this sentence, you ready? When I stop, you complete it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. Jesus told us to pray like that according to the will of God. And Jesus did it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed in agony and said, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. And so Jesus told us to pray according to God's will. He showed us to pray according to God's will. And we see here that the Spirit of God prays according to God's will. And here's why this is important. Do you always know what God's will is for your life? I don't. A lot of times I don't know. It can be a small decision, a big decision. Sometimes it takes prayer, it takes patience, waiting on the Lord to show us the answers. But when we fail to know God's will, and we are unable to correctly pray and petition God according to His will the way we should, 
the Holy Spirit is there to pray on our behalf according to God's will. Isn't that amazing? The thing I took from this message, by the way, is God helps us so much more than we even know. That when I can't pray according to his will because I'm weak and my faith sometimes falters, that his spirit prays for me according to his will. It reminds me that not only does the spirit pray for us, but is there someone else praying for us? Where is Jesus right now? What's the Bible say? Sitting at the right hand of the Father? Is He up there just chilling? Is He up there just taking in worship? Is He up there just watching, seeing what's going on? The Bible says He's at the right hand of the Father doing something. Making intercession for us. I don't know, I mean, there's not a whole lot of scripture on that, but it's almost like Jesus is sitting there reminding the Father, hey, that one there is mine. I paid for them with my blood. That one there is mine. I died on the cross for their sins. If you put your faith in Jesus, you have a Savior who is praying for you even now. Isn't that pretty neat? Not only is Jesus praying for us in heaven where he is assuring us of eternal life, but the Spirit is praying for us now, helping us make it through this life. I'm afraid we miss these, some of these spiritual truths sometimes. We're so focused on the earthly things, the worldly things. But I pray that you'll, you'll understand that God is doing so many things behind the scenes, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And so many times I think we just shut him out. We try to put other things in there. Don't do that. Submit yourself to the Spirit of God as He leads your life. Again, as I read these words, I want to make sure you understand that just because the, the Son of God is praying for us in heaven, just because the Spirit of God is praying for us in our hearts, does not mean we should stop praying, does it? We should pray even more, shouldn't we? None of us in here, I would say, probably prays enough. We could all pray more and more fervently. I want to read you this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He wrote this in a sermon on these verses. And I guess someone had asked him, well, why should we even keep praying? Listen to what he says. Spurgeon said, never give up praying. Even when Satan suggests to you that prayer is worthless, pray without ceasing. If the heavens are brass and your prayer only echoes above your head, keep praying. If month after month your prayer appears to have miscarried, if you have had no answer, continue to draw close to the Lord. Do not abandon the mercy seat for any reason. If it is a good thing that you've been asking for, and if you're sure that it is according to God's will, wait, tarry, pray, weep, Plead, wrestle, and agonize until you get what you are praying for. If your heart is cold, do not wait until your heart warms. Pray your soul into heat with the help of the ever-blessed Holy Spirit, who helps in our weakness, who makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Never cease prayer for any reason. 
If the philosopher tells you that every event is fixed and that prayer cannot possibly change anything, go on praying. If you cannot reply to every difficulty that man suggests, resolve to be obedient to prayer. Never, never, never renounce the habit of prayer or your confidence in God and in prayer. Let's move to verse 28. And our second point of this message, our first one is God helps us in praying for us. Our second one, God helps us in all things. How many of you would say this is your favorite verse in the Bible? I know at least a few people would say that. This is my favorite verse in all the Bible. And I want you to see, we've studied it before, you've you've heard it before. I want you to see how it's connected to what we just talked about. The Spirit praying in us according to God's will thereby brings about this truth that God works all things together for our good. You see, the sufferings of Romans 8 that he talks about, the sufferings of our lives are real, but so is the truth of God's sovereign care for us in verse 28. I want to give you this verse in four words. I want to use four words to kind of break it down, okay? So the first word is the word know. It says there, we know that all things work together for good. This isn't an opinion. This isn't a theory. This is a truth, church, that we can know. You ever gone to the store with a $20 bill? Let's, just, let's make it bigger. Let's go $100 bill. And you walk in to Walmart, and you know what you need to buy. You know it's less than $100. You get your item. You put it on the thing. You pay. You went in there knowing, didn't you? You, you knew, I had enough money to buy this. You've done it before. Everybody's done that before, I'm sure. Have you ever gone into a store with a debit card, and you picked up an item to buy, but you just wasn't quite sure if there was money on that debit card? Was that just me? Okay, I've done it before. Preachers, you know. I've gone there before, like, I'm going to swipe this. I hope the Lord it works. <laughs> Approved, yes. You know, I did it. There's a difference in knowing and hoping, right? The $100 bill you knew, the debit card, uh, hope there's something in there to cover it. How about this? We watched the ball game last night, exciting baseball game. You go to a sporting event, you pay to get in, you pay to get in, you, you, you know you're going to watch the game, but you don't know if your team's going to win, do you? You know you're going to get to see it, but you hope your team's going to win. There's a difference in knowing something and hoping something, and if you get nothing else from today, you need to sit and stare at the words on that screen or in your Bible, and you need to commit this to memory, and you need to leave here today saying this. I know this is true. This verse can be an anchor for your soul. Some of you like to fish. I like to fish. I haven't done this in a long time because usually now we bass fish, but I've gone fishing in the past where we would throw down an anchor. Why? Because we found a good spot. And we didn't want the wind to blow the boat around. We want to stay in that spot and fish there because that's where we're catching fish. So you drop the anchor off. What does an anchor do? It, it keeps you steady. It keeps you grounded. This verse can be an anchor for your soul. 
so that when tragedy strikes, when sickness strikes, when pain strikes, when the unthinkable happens in your life, you already can say, I know, as awful as these things might be in my life, I know that God will somehow work this for good. I'm just telling you all, I, I knew this verse, but when I finally went through some difficult things in my life, then it became real to me. So if you've never been through something real difficult, then maybe you don't quite understand the truth of this. But here's my challenge for you, for if, you if you're in that category. Believe this now, and it'll make it more bearable to walk through your tragedy and your loss and your sickness and your pain. If you believe this now, it'll help you. No, we can know this truth. The second word is the word all. And we know that, what's it say? We know that some things work together for good. We know that a few things work together for good. We know that church things work together for good. No, what's it say? All. We know that all things are under the scope of God's providential care. And I know this is not easy for us sometimes to think about. How can God use the worst things in my life to bring about good? How does that happen? Well, Pastor John MacArthur gave us some insight there. He said, God took the most absolute evil that Satan could ever devise and turned it into the greatest and conceivable blessing he could ever offer to fallen mankind. And that's eternal salvation from sin. The worst thing that ever happened was not something that's happened to me. It was that God sent His only Son, who a perfect Son of God, laid down His life for sinners. That's the worst thing, in a sense, that's ever happened. But what did God do with that? According to His plan He already had, He made it into the best thing that ever happened. Because it allowed us to have eternal life. As a believer, there is nothing... Listen, as a believer, we'll talk more about that next week, there is nothing you experience that escapes the hand of God. I believe not one ounce of the suffering you face goes apart from God's plan in some way and apart from His working all things together for good. The third word is that word good. We know that all things work together for good. I've always wondered about this word choice. Because sometimes things happen in life that don't feel good, right? I mean, obviously. Nobody wants to get a bad doctor's report. Nobody wants to have a, a marriage fall apart. Nobody wants to have, you know, different issues. Nobody wants to bury a child. All these different things that happen in life. And so it's an interesting word choice. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is going to feel good or even be good. What it means is somehow God will work all things together for an ultimate, an ultimate good. You might say, well, my loved one, you know, died. Well, the good from that is that if they're a Christian, right, the Lord took them to heaven. Sometimes I wonder when people pass away, you know, 
Maybe God spared them from some tragedy coming in life, some awful life they're going to have to live. We don't understand how things work together for good, but I believe from the Scripture and from life that they do. We know all things work together for good, not because we see the answer, but because we know the one who has the answers. We know all things work together for good, not because we see the answer, but because we know the one who has the answers. The fourth word is the word God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. We'll talk more about that that part of the verse next week. But make no mistake about it. All things don't work together for good because of Mother Nature or fate or destiny or because of us. There is one in charge who's causing all things to work together for good, and that is the God of the Bible. It's Him. One of my favorite stories to illustrate this is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Y'all remember the story of Joseph? His brothers didn't like him, did they? They were jealous of him. They left him for dead in a pit. They finally ended up selling him off to slavery. They just got rid of him. He was daddy's favorite. (laughs) They got rid of him. So Joseph goes and ends up uh, being a servant in the house of a man named Potiphar. Of course, you know the story. He kind of works his way up. He's doing really well. Potiphar trusts him to kind of run the household. And one day... Potiphar's wife comes in and sees Joseph and she, you know, makes a pass at him, if you will. And Joseph's like, I can't do this. I can't, you know, I got to follow the Lord. I got to not betray my my master. And so he runs away from her. Potiphar comes back home and she tells Potiphar, "Uh, your, your servant Joseph, you know, tried to make advances at me. And so Potiphar's furious, takes Joseph and what happens? Throws him in jail. He's put in jail. So he's gone. He's he's sold by his brothers. He's betrayed and lied about and put in jail. While in jail, he helps some people. He helps uh, this man there. And and the man's like, when I get to the king, to the pharaoh, I'll make sure to mention you. And so he he goes and, and guess what happens? The guy forgets. Remember, the guy forgets to, to, to tell him, hey, there's a guy that needs some help in, in, over here in the prison. And so Joseph is just there. Finally, the man realized, oh, yeah, I forgot about that guy, that Joseph. So Joseph comes out. He helps the king. He, he interprets some dreams by God's help. And, of course, you remember the story through the, the sovereignty of God. Joseph is put in charge of the food in the land, which was important because a famine was coming. And so he worked his way. God led him from a pit to a prison to second in command in Egypt. But God just kept working, didn't he? Go read the last section of Genesis. You'll see the story. And so Joseph's family in another land is hungry. There's a famine. They need food. They're going to die if they don't find some food. And so they've heard in Egypt there's food. And so they go down and And these brothers don't know that Joseph is even alive. Of course, it's a long story, but to make it short, eventually, Joseph says, hey, I'm your brother Joseph. And they can't believe it. 
that, they, again, they thought he was probably long gone. And yet here he is, second in command in Egypt. The man they're coming to to say, save our lives because we are hungry. And Joseph, in mercy, loved them. Provided for them. He even brought the whole family closer. But one of my favorite verses is Genesis 50, 20. Listen to what Joseph told those brothers. The ones who had sold him left him for dead, basically. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. There are people in your life who've tried to hurt you in some way. As a, and, and it's not fun, but as a believer, you can look back and say, wow, God took that evil or that pain and somehow he worked it for good because he taught me something, he strengthened my faith. Genesis 50, 20, those words of Joseph are the equivalent to Romans 8, 28. To know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Again, we're going to focus more on that next week because this promise isn't for everyone. It's for a group of people who've been called of God, who love God. That'll be our focus next Sunday. I read a poem this week that said, When fear and worry test your faith and anxious thoughts assail, remember God is in control and He will never fail. I asked some of our church members this week to give me some thoughts on Romans 8, 28. And I don't have time to read all of them. There are several good um, responses. But I, I just picked three. And I'm not going to say their names to protect their identity. But listen to what three different church members said about this verse. Romans 8.28 has always been comforting to me to believe that even the bad things in life, sickness, loss of loved ones, broken relationships, are all worked out to our advantage by our sovereign God. That part of verse 28, to me, is easy and comforting to believe. Another person wrote this. Romans 8, 28 is my favorite verse. Someone once asked me why I wasn't the type of person who worries a lot. My main answer is this verse. I know that everything that will happen in my life will not be wonderful, and sometimes things won't happen the way I hope. However, my faith is always in the Lord, and I know he has a plan for my life. The last one. Someone wrote, The good, bad, and the terrible things we face in this life work together to bring about God's purpose. God even uses sin and non-believers to bring about good. God sometimes uses tragedy and death to bring about good. I've heard a lot of people say they are thankful for some of the hardest things they've been through in this life because it taught them life lessons and brought them closer to God. No matter what we face in this life, a Christian 
has the hope and the promise of eternal life. I hope today that you have the same hope and assurance of eternal life and of God helping you through this life that your fellow church members have. I hope this verse would be an anchor to your soul. I hope you would mark it in your Bible, that you would memorize it, that you would meditate on it. This is a a hope that assures that we would have a settled faith and an understanding that God has a plan for every single thing we go through. And He will lead us through it, He will guide us through it, and somehow, some way, on the other side of it, in some way we usually can't understand, He's going to make it for His glory and for our good. You see, God does all things for His glory and for the good of His people. I pray that you will hold on to this verse and this truth every day for the rest of your life. Let's pray.